So, Rebecca, we were out to lunch the other day, and you thought we should do a podcast in which we read our old report cards from our childhood when we were in school. So what do you say? Let's do it. Yeah, and I was shocked that we both kept them. I think that speaks to who we are as people and, and why we're friends. <laughs> This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. Hey, I'm Rebecca Bloom. I have a mental health practice in, the, in South Seattle. And to be on par with the times, I'm also an opinionated woman who's intelligent. If it's hard for you to listen to intelligent women, especially that Kirk enjoys talking to, you might just want to turn off now. <laughs> Well, is this in response to some comment or email you got uh, or something? I, I got I got a pretty grilling comment, but I've also heard from every other woman that's online that the men get it easy and the women just get slammed. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the management, Rebecca, is you do not read the comments. I know. I'll just say that my son read the comments and he's on fire. Yeah. And I had to like tie him to... I had to make him like super swear that he wasn't going to reply. Yeah. My mom's smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we have opinions. That's why you listen. Please enjoy as we go deep into our childhoods. Not, well, into our adolescence. Yeah. And share with you why we are the people we are today. Yeah. Well, part of this won't uh, garner any comments because I'm going to make this a patron only episode mm. because this is a personal episode and whenever that happens I, I have a really hard time just putting out my personal life to the entire world so if you are not a patron you're not going to hear this whole episode if you want to hear this whole episode you have to become a patron by going to patreon.com do so now we're going to read all of our report cards that we have and talk about our childhood a bit probably and maybe um, learn some things. I haven't read my report cards probably since I got them. I've scanned all of them, but I don't remember ever really reading them, you know. But anyway, become a patron. Do so now, especially become an annual patron because you get a discount and we also get to plan for the future. All right. Welcome to the Patron Zone patrons. All right. Start us off here, Rebecca. Boy, well. And first off, why did you want to do this? I was just amazed that we both had them to do this because I don't think everybody would keep them. No, I would say 1% of people have their report cards from when they were a kid. And I kept mine to, A, I had to hide them from my mom because they came in the mail. And so I would grab them, put them in this file, but then I would keep them. Like I didn't put them in the trash. And As so, a child, you'd put them in a file? Yeah, look, this is the file That's that they the were in. File? This is the file That's with funny. my mom's typewritten things. And it says grades and status reports on it. Yeah. So if my mom were to ever find this, who, I don't, did I have a filing cabinet as a small child or as a teenager? I don't know. I think I kept some myself. So I started keeping a diary when I was 13, and it was uh, convenient to shove in other kinds of things, you know, paper and pictures and stuff into the same kind of box with my journal. But I think my mom actually held on to mm. a lot of my report cards. And when I was in my 20s and 30s, she started to ex expel or I don't know what you call it, but give away all this old stuff that was taking up all the space. And I, since I'm such a 
documentarian of of history of my family and and myself i scanned everything so i scanned pictures and you know just scanned whatever i could find so i have everything on my computer and that i can actually and i have to i had to name all of them and it, it's it's really a the amount of time I, by the time i'm dead i will probably have spent like three and a half years mm. of my life scanning and and renaming and organizing all of these little things but it, you know it provides meaning to me and when you say hey let's do this i like okay i, I got it right here um but you were hiding it from your parents were you trying to not get in trouble yeah, so I'm holding in my hand right now, and maybe is there a way to share an image on, for the patrons? No. Okay. Uh, so everyone, I'm holding a typewritten uh, report card for me from 10th grade. Um, so this is 1985, 86, and it's uh, you can also tell it's carbon copy. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And uh, I had a 2.8 my first semester and a 2.7 my second semester. So I'm getting my high grade is uh, a B minus, but I'm getting mostly C's and D's. Um, I was lucky enough to take photography where I did get an A minus. Um, so it just speaks volumes to how much I was struggling. And I think I've said on the podcast before, I have nightmares probably once a month about high school. And actually, when I knew I was going to go looking for this, the day before I went looking for it, I had a nightmare that I was being chastised for my grammar and my spelling. And I was being told that I would never get anywhere, which is funny because then when I read these comments, that's what they said. So somewhere deep in my unconscious were all of these comments stored away. So for you... You're, as you said earlier, a smart, intelligent woman. As a kid, why weren't you getting A's? Or is that too much of an Asian American thing to say? <laughs> There's only one option. You get an A or an A minus, otherwise known as the Asian F. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. So my dyslexia is so intense. Okay. So actually, in fifth grade, in California, there was statewide testing. I don't know if everybody had it at that point in the 80s. but um, Yeah, we had state. I don't know if it was statewide, but it was, it was some you know, um, achievement test that you would take every f- couple years that would give you your – and I actually probably have that those reports too – that give you your percentile and reading and math and stuff. Yeah, and then were your reading groups then assigned – by your what you got on that test? No, we were placed by a district test, not, okay. not the state test. So in fifth grade, which was the top of my middle school, or the, the top of, no, sixth grade. In sixth grade, which was the top of my elementary school, I was tested in third grade in reading. And so I was in the lowest reading group, and I was getting made fun of by my peers, and I was sitting with third graders. And it in was, the sixth grade, you were sitting with third graders. Yeah, for for my, I was reading like picture books for my reading group because it was based on this score. Did anyone recognize you had dyslexia? Yes, but so I remember sobbing, and because I was getting teased so bad, and the teacher took me aside and she showed me my actual scores, which I don't think they did back then. Hmm. Because she just had them to place us, and she said, "Your your spelling is at a third grade level. That's why you're in this group. But your reading comprehension is at eleventh 
an 11th grade level. No one in this class is even close to you with that. I just want you to know that. I, she was trying to build up my self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, did it help? It did, but it was like, that's the story of my life right there. Like, if you follow me on any social media, you know probably even the simplest post from me has a spelling mistake. <laughs> um, and I try and catch them, and it doesn't even matter. But so to have a learning disability, and this is National Disability Awareness Month or something, um, you know, I was skewed as not smart, but my processing speed, I knew even then, was so fast. So I'm now what would be called twice exceptional, which is learning disabled and able to process content in a really advanced way. Mm. But when you're in sixth grade and there's no room for that, and I can see in all of these report cards, there's no room for that all the way through high school. Right. And it's when I think about those kinds of um, experiences, I think if the system of the school was organized differently, then you would win and other kids would lose. It's just it's just kind of a decision that they make. They privilege certain kinds of achievements academically and will uh, globally label kids. Right. If. If you if school is for you oriented less towards spelling and uh, you know word writing or you know and and more towards comprehension or the ability to speak the ability to understand other people talking that kind of thing because I'm guessing your dyslexia didn't mess with that that you'd be like skipping grades and you'd feel like a smarty and a and one of the cool kids and uh, but when you're young. American schools are, are typically pretty oriented towards particular things, and, and the same thing for me. So, I've all I've, I'm mildly dyslexic myself. Um, I've never been a formally diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure. Like my whole life, I will stare at 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 you know sentences, and I feel like it just becomes blurry. It's weird. It's like I have to really concentrate. And I for the longest time I just I just thought I'm just really bad reader but then my dad said mm. he thought he had dyslexia and I was just like oh maybe that's where I get it from and I I, I mean I'm 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 probably like 10% I'm not I'm not like you know um impacted that much by it but but I think it impacted me enough that when I was in first and second grade I really struggled with reading and I remember thinking, reading out loud. It, I didn't struggle with reading in my head. I, re, I read. I've always read in my head very slowly. But the problem I had was reading out loud. I think mm-hmm. also because of anxiety. And mm-hmm. I remembered thinking of myself as a total dunce when I was a kid because a, a half the day was spent going around the room reading out loud, and other people just read fluidly, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you know, the cat went to the market, and the market went to the cat, and there you go." And I would just be going. I'd just be sweating. I remember just dreading, like, okay, there's three more to go before it's my turn. Okay, there's two more to go before it's my turn. Okay, oh, my God, what do I do? And it wasn't until we took those um, placement tests in the fourth grade that I was placed in high math and mid-level English. And I thought, I'm I'm high math? I'm mid-level English? I thought I was a dunce. It was. I remember being very 
happy, but for, you know, good portion of my life, I just really thought of myself as kind of the dummy of, of school. Um, but anyway, so let's, let's read one of my report cards. I, I'm looking at 1977 here. This is uh, <laughs> Mrs. Sieber, first grade. And it's kind of hard to read, but, um, you know, they give this system of, so this has been the first trimester, I think is what it is. And they give either, I think, minuses. I don't have any minuses, thank goodness. And they give pluses and checks. I think mm. check is like, yeah, you're doing okay. Plus is like you're doing pretty good. I got a you know, pretty good mix of pluses and, and checks. It says, Kirk is doing very well in all academic areas. He applies himself well in work situations and seems especially to enjoy reading-related work. Well, that's surprising to me because in my head, I was terrible at reading and didn't want to read at all. So that's interesting. Uh, let's read another one here. This is um, kindergarten, actually, going back in time. So <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Barbara, I remember her. I've actually, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with her. She's a great woman. Uh, Kirk's, Kirk, Kirk's steadfast, noble attitude is a wonderful asset in our, you know, I'm wondering if it's just like, you just want to write nice things, right? Uh his, his That's own, quite an intense statement, though, for a five-year-old. A like, noble attitude, yeah. I can, I mean, I've, I want to know that kid. Yeah. His organization and long attention span consistently set an example for his classmates to follow. Kirk always has introspective thoughts to share with class regarding unusual events that happen <laughs> in room one. Wait, what? Kirk always has introspective thoughts to share with mm. class regarding unusual events that happen in room one. Room one meaning our room. He's our kindergarten Confucius. Is that a microaggression? <laughs> Kirk has superior pre-reading skills and all ready for pre-prime, prime, primer? Kirk continues to be a ste steadying influence, a steadying influence on our class and a delight to have in the classroom, Kirk has all the ingredients of a very successful life and first grade experience. <laughs> a very, but the the thing that really sticks out to me as probably particular to me that she wrote, what because you know you just figure you write a lot of nice things, but always has introspective things to say. He's our kindergarten Confucius. Mm -hmm. That's what my family says about me too, and you can obviously see a through line to me today in that way. But I do re my family will say that that I would be sitting there just thinking on my own because mm -hmm. there was my older brother as my my pa my parents were a team mm -hmm. and my older brother and sister were a team and then I was six seven years later and mm -hmm. I was all by myself and so I apparently spent a lot of time by myself just playing by myself or thinking by myself and would be quiet for half an hour then all of a sudden i just say something that was clearly a product of just sitting there staring at the wall and contemplating life's <laughs> questions and uh, apparently uh mrs barber picked up on that um <clears throat> any thoughts on that rebecca yeah i mean i can see that from raising my own children and for a lot of well we're about to have a peps group meeting for those of you who aren't in Seattle's a parenting support group. Uh, so uh, the oldest children are now 17 and 18. And to see where these kids are now and the hobbies they've picked. I mean, I remember when they were 
little and the ringleader girl is now heading off to the UW on a full scholarship. You know, it's like these things are surprising in a way when you see the through line over somebody's life. Right. Um, And so I can see you as a five and six year old with profound thoughts about what's occurring in the room. Um, You know, you're a natural observer and you know how funny that you found this way of life to live. Uh, yeah. I mean, now you're getting paid to observe and yeah. comment. Isn't that funny? Yeah, getting paid to stare at the wall and think for half an hour and say something. All right, read one of yours. Okay, so mine are a lot later. Um, these are from high school. Um, so, but I think they're they're kind of interesting. <laughs> so this is English, Mr. Boston. I know a lot of my friends are still friends with them. This is eleven eight eighty five. Uh, I got a C plus, and he wrote, Rebecca's recent class participation has been truly inspired. Mm. She needs to work on her quiz scores and carefully proofread her written work. Actually, it doesn't matter if I carefully proofread it because I can't learn English spelling or grammar lessons. Um, she has a marvelous potential and should be able to raise this substantially by term's end. Stay with it. And then we can see from the results that I was not able <laughs> to substantially raise it. Did, um, do you remember that back then, did they help you with your dyslexia? Did they I mean, give they, you a little bit extra time or no, something? No. All of that stuff I don't think existed yet. Yeah. I mean, all of that kind of IEP, 504, my child has special needs. None of that stuff existed. And I remember right. this is actually why... So I got, the first time I took the SATs, I got 1,300, which was no good and not going to get me anywhere. So then they had me take it again. I got 1,100. Or maybe I got 1,100 the first time they had me take it again, and I got 1,000. I think that's what it was. Because 1,300 isn't bad. No. So I got 1,100, then I got 1,000, and you get 800 just for showing up. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I can't do standardized testing. I got no extra time, but I don't think it would have mattered because when you give me a multiple choice question, I just kind of trip out on the complexities of life. It's like the wrong yeah. formula for me. Interesting. But also, so with spelling and grammar, like I can't, you know, usually when you, like a word I am still learning how to spell is probably. You know, there's some O's in there. There's a couple of vo- the vowels could be A's or O's. There's some consonants in there. Is it B-L-Y? Is it B-L-E? Like, That's funny. I have certain words like that, too, that I basically just requ- rely on the computer to correct mm-hmm. me every time. Words like occasionally. Is it two C's and one S or is it one? Necessarily. Mm-hmm. Necessarily, I get right 20% of the time. There's like too many C's and S's and double whatever. Uh, what other word? There's a couple other words that I've, I've at the age of 50, I've just given up. I, I just say, I'm just, I'm just never going to learn that word. And I don't need to because Google Docs or Word will, or even my phone you. will say, you've, you've spelled that wrong. And I've noticed the spelling algorithms have changed because there was a sweet spot about five years ago where spelling algorithms got me and understood what I was trying to say. And something has happened, and now they no longer get me. 
<laughs> and they don't know what I'm trying to say, and I just have to think of another word that means the same thing. Because, like, I can't spell it. They can't predict it. Maybe I have time to go on Google and, like, that's... Well, if you're texting, you can go prolly, you know? Like, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, now that it's all shortened, like, when I can say convo instead of conversation, like... You know, I'm doing v- texting for me is a super win. Yeah. Because people just assume that you can't spell because you're moving fast, but then actually it's like I've never been able to spell. Mm. Also, like emojis for me are also a win because if I can just do a picture instead of a yeah. word, yeah. that's going to really save me. But what I think is so interesting here so this is 10th grade English. <laughs> I think we read Frankenstein, which was written by a woman, which I thought was really interesting. And so when he says, her participation was truly inspired, I'm trying to imagine what caught his attention Yeah, about me. Energetic sounds. Sounds like he was observing you as an energetic, um, active participant, maybe. You know? You were inspired to to be a main contributor. That's, that's what I would guess. But the thing that I'm pulling, which is, I didn't know that you were a crappy student. Just joking. Uh, not really, but, um, you're a very successful person and you always have been since you, uh, I don't know how you did in college, but, uh, you're a very successful therapist and business owner and landlord and human being and educator, professor, and you were a shitty student. You got shitty grades. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the quandary, right? Is that what's if- wrong with our school's evaluation system? <laughs> because it'd be one thing if you were told, look, you're, you're pretty bad at spelling. You have dyslexia and your reading, your reading speed is, is hindered, but you, you comprehend pretty well. You speak well, you think well, your math scores aren't great, but, there's a lot of 99% of professions don't involve fricking math. So that's okay. And we've observed these other areas where you you work well with other people. You have good emotional intelligence or you have a curiosity. You, you um, are friendly and you're going to go far. Uh, you're just not going to be an engineer or a, a editor at a newspaper. So uh, here, you know, It'd be one thing if that was the case, but that's not the case, of course. The, the case is uh, you need to be better in these areas. And, of course, you internalize all those messages that, that I must – there must did, – did, did you internalize those messages somehow? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember watching the people that were smart and being so confused. And they went off to do – And, again, they're not smarter than you. They're right, just or smart. successful they're just, in school. They just have an aptitude in that, in that area that – you know, lends itself to being seen as successful. So this Jocelyn, the, the smartest one oh. of our class. Do you, did you hate her? I didn't hate her, but she just looked like she was suffering. And I Googled her, and she's now um, a tax lawyer in the town that we grew up in. And I just think, like, if am I, you know, props to all the tax lawyers who can handle that. Um, but I think my life is a better match for me. And I I was never on the path. So being successful, you know, she would get, she probably got a 4.0 or a 5.0 because she's in all 
honors classes. Wait, you had 5.0? Didn't you used to have 5.0 if no. you were an AP? No, we only had 4.0. Okay. If you were an AP, you got an added point because it was this is very competitive man i would have my grades would have been sky because i was in all the ap classes i would have i would have skyrocketed but so i um yeah so at the time i was looking at her existence on the planet being like "Ooh, that's what i wanted or even another woman that i was really really close to we were really good friends she got a's and everything i remember she got a her parents would buy her a music CD for every A that she got. So, like, this is when they were, like, 15 bucks a piece in, yeah. like, 1985. I mean, I could never... I could maybe get one. I think they were seventeen ninety nine at a certain point. I mean, I could never get one, right? Yeah. And she's getting, like, six a quarter because she's getting straight A's. And I remember connecting with her 15 years ago, and, you know, she was a miserable cardiologist at a cutthroat cardiology program and um i was like whoa so this just being super smart in school led you right. to be able to be a lawyer or a doctor into a career that's making you really really stressed out um and so my nightmares are often that i'm in the wrong place and i'm trying to advocate for myself of what a better place would be and often they're currently that in 11th grade i try to advocate that I should just get a GED and be done with this whole shit show. And um, it's so interesting for me now to get this, to see this hard evidence of like, oh my God, I was much worse at this than I remembered. And I should not have been at the school. I mean, at another, in another place in time, if fast forward, if I was my own parent, I would have gotten me out of that school and I don't know if alternative high schools existed then or an arts high school or something, but why torture a kid to get C's and D's? Yeah. Well, because the assumption was you're not applying yourself, you're not working hard enough, mm -hmm. and we need to just keep uh, pressing, you know, the thumb into your temple and just try to <laughs> drive it into your head, you know, and uh, you'll get it one day mm -hmm. or, well, you know, she'll be a janitor or something and, and that's her lot in life. And, you know, the other thing I'll bring up, and I've talked about this before, is the emphasis, and I've, the emphasis that parents put, particularly today, on grades with their kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to do well in school. It's fine. But the emphasis is so out of priority in my mind. I would be sitting down with parents and, and their kids, and uh, the kid would be getting bad grades or C's or, you know, not doing well. And there would be all this conflict in the family and self-esteem issues, maybe some depression, maybe cutting in the kid, whatever. Mm -hmm. there, there's issues. And they would spend 99% of their time communicating with a kid about their grades mm -hmm. and about grounding them because they didn't, get a, they didn't do their homework or calling the teachers every day, making sure they're doing all their stuff. And there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with those acti activities in isolation. But when, you, when, when I looked at the broader picture, I was like, he is miserable – in a variety of ways, in addition to the fact that you're pressuring him on school and the only time he has any contact with you is around mm -hmm. you chastising him or monitoring him or punishing him around his schoolwork. And I uh, would pose this question to parents. I would say, would you rather have a successful 
doctor, would you rather have him be a successful doctor and be miserable or be a janitor, a high school dropout janitor who is extremely happy? And they would, they would have to think about that one mm-hmm. for a second. And I, and I, in those five seconds, as they're staring at me, their gears are turning. I'm like, there's something wrong that you have to contemplate this freaking question. And I don't blame you. I blame society because they're pressuring you. Mm-hmm. But you've absorbed that nonsense, that propaganda. And that should not be your priority. A miserable doctor is a miserable human being. doesn't matter what he's doing with his job. And uh, a janitor can be the happiest person in your community. doesn't mm-hmm. matter. He's, he's, but because of culture and you, no one has a bumper sticker that says, my son is a janitor, you know? Like, they don't have that kind of stuff. And, and so there's this huge pressure uh, put on kids, and they define themselves almost entirely based on getting grades in particular subjects that are privileged in high schools. Yeah, and I heard something really interesting. I took a training yesterday on Islam and sexuality. It was an hour and a half long. It needed to be like eight hours long. But one of the comments that she was saying at looking at her own religion was when she was viewing it through a critical lens, she was using the words, I've been colonized. And I think that's so interesting to think about our education system as well. Our education system was put in place to try to either train people to go to prison or to train people to go to 40-hour-a-week jobs and not complain. And there's a lot of ways in which our education system is colonized and the priorities are wrong Yeah. in terms of memorize this, spit this back out. Like, and shut up. And shut up. And sit yeah. down and, and don't think for yourself. Now, I, I, w- I will say, uh, inevitably, I always get emails from occasional, uh, I can't spell that word, uh, Occasional, but I'll say it. Uh, instructors that will say, "No, in my school we do it differently." And there are there are some mm-hmm. programs where they really are progressive. They are thinking outside the box. You can teach all these subjects with a different vibe from the teachers, right? A different approach, and uh, do it well. So I will say that. Anyway, let's go on to another um, report card. Let's see if we can get me going up into. Let's see. This is uh, second grade. Mr. Simpkins, and I am reading it now. Kirk is consistently neat and accurate in his daily work. He's, I've always, well, I haven't always been neat, so maybe that's a through line, sort of. He strives to do his best and has excellent study habits. Kirk's spelling scores have been commendable. Well, that's strange, because I thought I was terrible at spelling. This is second grade spelling, though. Yeah, right. He has received perfect scores thus far. What? Kirk does well in math, but needs practice to in speed and accuracy of the basic addition and subtraction facts. Frequent and consistent use of flashcards is advised. That's completely backward to me. I thought that I was always uh, pretty good at math and quick with math, but spelling I thought I was terrible in. So this is kind of and isn't changing that my perspective. Interesting that developmentally you hit different markers at different times. So when it in fifth grade or then the next time you got tested those things had flip-flopped whereas we tend to freeze kids right you're good at this and bad at that but to know as kids brains change and as the expectations that are set for them change they might be completely different yeah at different times uh same grade later that year uh kirk's kirk kirk sometime 
Kirk's sometimes reluctance to read at an adequate volume hampers the development of, of his reading fluency and expression. That makes sense to me because I was so shy about reading. Despite continued reminders, Kirk still lets his voice trail off inaudibly at the end of reading selections. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember that, but that makes a lot of sense. I was probably just like, can I just stop this right now? So how did you handle that anxiety? You just tried to disappear? I, no, it's funny that when I was a kid, I was such a non-scheming child that I just suffered. Like Mm. when I've talked about this before on the podcast, I believe that my parents were very strict about we would finish all the food on our plate. Mm regardless of how terrible my mom's cooking was, which is somewhat legendary in my family. And I feel like cooking, we're the same age. So cooking in the 70s was was awful. Boiled green bean, bleh. Yeah. Everything you just kind of threw in a pot Mm -hmm. and there was no, there was no seasoning. Yeah. I I feel like no scotch bonnet peppers, no YouTube channels to help you you uh, uh, cook food. And a lot of, Gravy. Yeah, just just so the thing that my mom would do is she would overcook her vegetables Ugh. and the meat, and so the meat would the meat would be tough and the vegetables would be soft, <laughs> and the meat and I have a and I, I have I've always had a really uh, sensitive gag reflex, and I, I've since learned from a doctor that my throat is actually uh, smaller than other people's uh, throats. I think I have the same condition. Really. Mm-hmm. I always wondered because I because my gag reflex is very very sensitive. People would be like, "Man, you're gagging like really quick." And mm-hmm. I also wonder if my um, f- skinny throat also has to do with the fact that when I speak, I sound like I'm a baritone or a bass, but when I sing, I'm I'm absolutely a tenor. <laughs> anyway, so um, I would try to choke down these pieces of meat, and I couldn't, and I would gag them back up. Mm. And everyone else that I know of would have just, because we always had dogs and cats, mm-hmm. they would have just fed the dog because they would leave me at the table alone. Oh, God. So I wasn't even being monitored. And there mm-hmm. were only like three pieces of meat that I had had to choke down, you know? And so I could have just fed the dog mm-hmm. or I could have, I could have flung gone, it. Yeah. Just flung it out the, the, the window. <laughs> the, the, our, we had a sliding gas door that was right there. I could have flung it, but it never even occurred to me. So mm-hmm. with um, reading, there's ways to get out of it. I could have gone to the bathroom. I could have gone like, I don't want to do this. I, but I just, I would just suffer in the, uh, the anxiety of reading. Um, but anyway, so, you know, it kind of makes me sad to think that if someone just would have helped me a little bit or someone, or if someone just said, you know what, Kirk, reading out loud isn't oh, a damn. skill. It's, you, it's not a skill you need to ever learn. <laughs> like you don't need to learn that. You could literally go your entire life without ever having to read out loud about things that you don't want to read about. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but again, I remember being anxious about that. I remember for several grades just, and and probably 70% of it was anxiety. The other thing that no one helped me with was just anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. No one came to me and said, you know, you might be in your head a little bit. Let's, Let's think about that. You know, how does your body feel? Relaxation, this kind of thing. Or... Getting support, you know, if if the teacher and my fellow classmates said, Kirk, it's okay, you know, mm-hmm. like read, you can kind of screw it up. You're like, just make it more okay to screw up. I, I'm, I'm sure I would have been fine uh, uh, with that. 
so it's just interesting to think about me just sitting there contemplating. Panic. Yeah. And, and with no way out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, why don't you read some more of yours? Okay. So there's this one I'm going to try and find. Uh, the class's name was Ascent of Man, which I don't think any class would have been named that now. Okay. And it must have been really writing-based. I believe this is the teacher who was a candidate, who was a contestant on um, the dating game. The dating game. Oh, really? Yes. She was very beautiful, and she drove a cabriolet. Do you remember that car? No. Sounds fancy. It was like a two-seater Volkswagen. They were uh, oh. very fancy. And I, in my memory, it was opalescent, but it probably wasn't. But she was very glamorous. I was excited to take her class, and I did very poorly. So this is, again, 10th grade. Initially, Rebecca has quite a bit of difficulty writing essays that appear on her weekly tests. Her essays at first were ambiguous and unorganized. What grade is this, 10th grade? 10th grade. Making it difficult to comprehend. However, Rebecca has done some marvelous jobs improving her writing skills and the last test score has the highest of the two quarters now i get a a c total so you can just imagine how high that rebecca was rebecca needs to further develop these skills and require them to even better and more more is whited out so i don't know what was there before substantial essays rebecca is uh, attentive and alert student. Hmm. I can see that. Hmm. When we would go to meetings at Antioch, you would always kind of look attentive, but I knew that you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> you have resting attentive face. <laughs> that is hysterical to hear you say that. So what's it like to read that? Uh, you know, I mean, it's funny. Like, even for the teachers I was desperate to impress, I don't have the skills to do it Mm. so i'm imagining you know we're writing on rome or something and i don't have very cohesive thoughts and i don't know how to make them cohesive i always remember the five paragraph essay for me was just like this conundrum of i hated it so much oh yeah write write a, a thesis statement yeah write three supporting statements i don't think i've ever met anyone that would that is that's described me in this way, the way you are right now. I ever, I've never met a single person. You're describing my exact experience, the five freaking paragraph essay. It and was even, even the thesis. I remember like now, of course, you and I could do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the ability to have an idea and then to organize like some written work around that. But as a high schooler, I just, I didn't understand what they were talking about. And... I mean, I think now about how often they're doing PowerPoints instead of writing these torturous five-paragraph essays, and it makes so much sense. Like, I create, I've created five, six-hour presentations that are like 40 to 50 PowerPoint slides. I've got videos in there. I've got supporting So if you were in high school and they had PowerPoint, would you have been able to do that better do you think? probably as a visual learner it wouldn't have been so messy but like it's interesting now i regularly i just taught art therapy for grief and loss six hours long 
and I am building my case, right, to, yeah. to the participants the entire time. I'm describing, here's some outdated looks at grief and loss. Here's some culturally appropriate looks at grief and loss. Right. Here's some trauma-informed looks at grief and loss. Here's a really old one theory that no one ever talks about that's really cool, the tasks of grief. Like, here's one that really stands up with the test of time. That, in a way, is a five, right? That's a five-paragraph oh, yeah. essay. But I could not write it. Yeah. I didn't want to... That framework, to me, seemed stale and insane. Oh, I I couldn't even evaluate. I just couldn't even do it. I, I We would get the assignment. This is AP English, which I was like, why... Why was it because I'm Asian or something? I'm just like, put me in AP English. I would have been so much better not. But I'm at, you know, I'm with all the, like, my, my classmate sitting right next to me was Brian Yorkie, who ended up getting a, a Tony for his, for, for writing, for, you know, writing plays and, and, uh, and musicals and stuff. Yeah. He, he was brilliant in this class and I was not. And the five paragraph thing, and you had to have three sentences per paragraph. Oh, yes. And I always had five paragraphs with three sentences each because I didn't know what to do. And I would, I remember I would sit on my bed in my room, just staring at the page, just thinking, what am I supposed to write? I don't understand. And then I would go to class. Uh, I'd go to school on Monday and I would be, it would be the period before AP English. And I look over and, and my friend Tammy is going, oh, yeah, we have that assignment due next qu- next period. And in seven minutes, mm. she would write a five-paragraph essay mm-hmm. while a history lecture is, is happening. And I would look at her and I'd think, what is it that you have that I mm. do not? Because I, you're the same age. We're mm-hmm. the same, we're in the same grade. How do you do that? I don't understand. And I think... Part of it was my fear of language based on my slight dyslexia and I think just lack of aptitude when I was a kid as well. Also, my family isn't super literary. <laughs> like there wasn't reading of books or speaking in that way. I spent a lot of time outside and with friends and not a lot of time, hardly any time reading. I didn't. I, I never read. Uh, I still don't, honestly. People be like, "What's your favorite book?" I'm like, uh, "Book on tape," because I <laughs> I can't remember. There's there's probably literally like ten books that I've read, you know, like non academic books. Um, uh, and so I I honestly think that I just didn't have enough exposure to language to understand even what they're saying. You know, you go to a five year old and you say like write an essay, of course, mm-hmm. they don't understand because they just haven't, they haven't absorbed all the necessary scaffolding and upon which you could build something like that. And I, I think I just was, because then in college, I struggled with it too, but I started to develop it. And then when I got my master's degree, there's a lot of writing. And that's when I really started to learn how to write. And then you got a PhD. Right. So, so when I got my doctorate, that's when it really uh, came into fruition. But in the beginning of my doctorate, I struggled as well. Like I had to rewrite papers. The beginning, it was humiliating. I was a <laughs> professor at Antioch who graded people's papers, and I was having to rewrite papers in my first quarter of my doctorate, uh, being taught by my coworkers. You know, and um, 
And I <laughs> at it, least they let you redo them. Yeah, it, it just took forever for me to build that skill. I have that skill now, but it, it was it was a lot of trial and error. You know what I mean? Well, and for me, it's actually when people ask me all the time, "Why don't you go for a PhD?" And I say, with my dyslexia, it would be so torturous to have to write that much. Yeah, uh, it's just not worth my time at this point in my life. But so you asked, like, how did I get through? And it was actually, oh my god, I wish I could remember her name. I had an English teacher in twelfth grade who taught us how to take notes in order to write something. And so I, when I am writing something, in order when I am reading something and that I know I will later have to produce on, I have a piece of paper sitting next to me. The title of the book is on the top. I write the page number and the quote. And then when it's time to write the essay, I've got all the pieces. It's just like a puzzle. And it was like a light bulb went off and I finally understood how to write. Mm. Then I, because of my thousand on the SAT, 800 points just for showing up, <laughs> And I knew kids that got perfect scores at the time, 600. And they were freaking stoned when they took it. That guy's now a radiologist. Um, Is he happy or sad? I think he, he looks happy. The last time he shared on Facebook, he was he was happy. But yeah. I think it's actually a perfect job for him because radiologists just read images mm-hmm. all day. They, don't, they rarely interact with clients. Um, so I... Uh, so... 12th grade, I learned how to write an essay because of my crappy scores. The only college I get into is the Evergreen State College, which is, we used this word earlier, is a Shonda upon my family. That's Yiddish for a great shame. But I end up at this college where you take one class a quarter where you get 16 credits. You read a book. You're in a seminar where you're discussing your opinions, as we can see from my high school, I'm going to succeed at that. And you're tested by writing essays and you get a whole quarter to write a long essay. So I have to start, I know myself well enough because of my dyslexia, I have to start writing my essay mid quarter. I'm using the writing center, like alone outside of my traumatized household. And I go to college at 17 too, because my mom started me earlier Mm. because I was so smart and bored at home that she didn't know what to do with me and I had a December birthday and she found a program that would take me early which Mm. I often wonder is this why I'm so socially and academically messed up (laughs) if I had had an extra year of maturity right it doesn't help I mean December is uh, I mean I'm in December so what year did you graduate from high school 88 right so you're you were a year because our birthdays are uh, you're you're on Christmas. I, I'm yeah. early December. You're actually you're actually younger than me, mm-hmm. but you were a grade older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I should have probably been that. So many minefields along the way. That yeah. I wonder about that one. If I had been had to do kindergarten twice or something. Yeah, research shows that on average, when you put even kids that are younger, just within the year, so kids that turn the age that they're supposed to turn say in may or june and you know that's okay they turn you know if like kindergarten they turn six when they when it's may or june Mm -hmm. even those kids will struggle compared to the kids that will turn six in september you know october which makes total sense right that uh there's 
a maturity. There's a, um, your brain is developing and, um, but what do you do? Right. Right. Well, you, also, need to cut, you need to put the cutoff somewhere and certainly you shouldn't have made, you shouldn't be fudged in being six months younger than the next youngest kid in the class. Right. And also I am, my parents are recently divorced. I'm living in a new city. My mom is with a guy who will turn out to be extremely abusive. Right. And I'm six months too young. So you put all those, if you know folks out there, if you haven't taken your aces too high score yet, I've got like three or four aces heading into kindergarten. My learn, it, it's, I'm just not going to learn right. at a regular pace. And then you pace. get backed up, right? You get behind in certain subjects. You have certain self-esteem issues. And then by the time you're in fourth grade, you're like, it's hard to you know be motivated and it's hard to feel like you can succeed. And I'm severely dyslexic. And by the time I'm in high school, my mom's on her third divorce. My her husband at the time leaves her for his intern who's 21. I mean, my family's in complete chaos. So I've got a single mom. We can't pick up the phone or answer the doorbell because it's bill collectors. Mm. So like I'm in this like prison lockdown (laughs) and I'm not doing well in school, but like no one's checking in. Plus San Diego in the eighties Two kids will die in drunk driving accidents. In fact, I think a kid died in this year that I'm reading from. Um, so just like so much trauma. Yeah. And I'm not learning. You know, it's like it makes, I know now it makes perfect sense. And as we walked in, you were like, what do you think of all this? And I was like, I want to give that girl a hug so bad. Yeah. What do you think you needed back then? Like, <sighs> pra- need- like what, what uh, was possible I needed an alternative high school or an arts-based high school. But what? Who? Who could have hugged you? Oh, who could have hugged me? Well, there was one ninth ninth grade history teacher who tried to hug me, and actually, I don't know if I told the story on the podcast or not. But when my when the divorce when he first left my mom, she was a complete mess, and I could not function in school. And I remember calling my ninth grade history teacher because we used to have these books that had everybody's telephone number in them. Like, you had a little directory for your school. And she actually asked me, do you want to come live at my house? And something snapped in me, my loyalty towards my mom. And I said, no, I can't leave her. And I th- I play through that event so many times in my life. Should I have gone? But could you have? Would your mom have let you? I don't know. She was so dysfunctional at that time. It it would have been a benefit. And at this point, he had told her that she was fat. And so the re- the way that she dealt with that is she stopped shopping at the grocery store and we only ate out of the convenience store, which means that we only ate like frozen TV meals. Mm. And I think that that messed up my body so much to eat. I mean, talk about like, I'm not getting the right nutrition. Yeah. I've got this completely unstable mother who can't function. I'm not allowed to answer the phone or <laughs> It's like, it probably would have been better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely better. But I'm just curious as to whether or not your mom would would allow that to happen. A lot, a lot of parents, you know, won't consent to that, at least long term. But it's, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us have points in our lives, like, should, what would have happened? Yeah. But she's never going to hear this podcast, and I can't remember her name. But, you know, I just... 
I, I just want her to know that I replay that moment over and over and over again. It's like, God, if I had been able to get a break yeah. right then and lived in a house where I was eating normal meals, where the adults weren't crying all the time, what would that have been like? So just a sidebar, there's a podcast called Heavyweight that I love by John um, uh, Goldstein. And he is an old This American Life mm. veteran, and it's a wonderful podcast. And what the central premise of the podcast is what you're talking about. And then he and his team find that person. Oh, wow. And they have sort of a build up to the conversation, and then they have the conversation. And, and uh, so you might want to email Heavyweight mm-hmm. Podcast. Um, yeah, I'm really sorry that you went through that. I mean, I've heard bits and pieces of this story, but maybe not to this extent. And it sounds very isolating, very sad, very, a lot of shame, a lot of powerlessness, a lot of neglect growing up too fast. And, um, at the time, if, you know, if I would have went to you when you were in 10th grade and said, you know, you're going to be really successful. And like, when you move out, everything's going to be fine. What would you have said? I don't even know. I don't know. I, I used to remember when I was younger that Fonzie would come and rescue me. I see you've got this new Happy Days lunchbox. Yeah. And even younger, I remember when Happy Days was on. And at some point he gets a young kid. Do you remember that? Yeah. I I used to wish it was me. Um, So I fantasized a lot about getting out. Mm. Um, And when people ask me, like, how did you get out of that story? Because a fair amount of people I know that have similar stories are just incredibly symptomatic. I mean, I easily qualify for a complex PTSD diagnosis. And although I have nightmares all the time, and I can no longer handle crowds or annoying people, you know, I can function (laughs) in society. And I have friends who can't. You know, they work maybe really minorly part-time. You know, I don't know if my, my, you know, my marriage is fairly functional and we're like 21 years in. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of it is fate. Um, one of these in one of these comments it says um rebecca wrote the best poem of the year and i remember in 12th grade i was runner up in a national poetry competition um so like there were little signs out there or my photography grade was like photography is inspired in 10th grade um so you know there's little signs of people saying to me boy there's there's something to you <laughs> you're not like the other kids here. Um, so I think, you know, and there was Suzanne Vega's first album that I just listened to over and over and over again. And like, you know, there was the arts and there was, uh, somebody asked recently, what was the music video that changed your life? And I think for me, it was the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams, mm. where I was like, who is that? <laughs> like, what is she up to? There's another path out there that I'm very curious about. Um, and this is in the 80s where, like, it wasn't the internet. You couldn't go research her. Right. You could just stare at the album cover and be like, well, maybe if I dyed my hair red, <laughs> like, maybe if I 
found a guy to make music with. You know, I mean, there, I just had some questions. And, you know, I had good friends who tried to rescue me. They were very sweet. One of them is Anamara Ritt, who just basically took me on family vacations and had me spend the night. I mean, I don't know if she knew exactly what was going on, but I think she got that her house was a better place to be than my house. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It's when just, did you feel like things had turned around at Evergreen? Yeah. So I'm out of the house. I remember I went back once or twice and things were just still, it just became clear like, oh, things are really crazy. No matter how much time I spend away, if I come back, it gets crazy again. And so I think the last time I spent the night at my mother's house, I was 20. And she ended up, this classic, Annika, who now is a really great English as a second language teacher, um, that there was a knock at the door and Annika answered, didn't didn't know the rules. And she got a statement from somebody, from a bill collector. My mom freaked out that Annika answered the door and started screaming at a friend. And I think that was the last time I spent uh, Yeah, your friend? Yeah, for answering the door and getting the yeah. statement. And like, I think that was the last time I spent the night at my mom's house. So you had the breath of fresh air away from her another emotional field to play in and then the contrast you realized oh i don't like this this isn't fair to me this isn't normal yeah and you know i'd been to inica's house and you could answer the door or the phone at inica's house and her mother had never yelled at me yeah so like i started to see the comparison and then I was lucky enough to live in a time in Seattle where you could afford to not rely on your parents. I mean, I, I worry about that. Like, the way our economies are set up now, Eli couldn't be independent at 17. Right. And the way that, um, unless he, like, became an influencer or something. Um, so it's kind of fascinating to see, like, the economy was also set up that I could be independent at 17. Mm-hmm. And the standard of living in Seattle was so much lower. I mean, it was a, a blue-collar town with where no one wanted to come for a vacation, you know. Yeah, I think in 1992 or 93, when I graduated college, the first room I found in the house, my rent was 135 a month. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had, I mean, and again, inflation, but even just double that, I think that's about what it would be from that time. Of course, you'd never find that in Seattle. Um, yeah. Well, and by the way, so Evergreen, if people don't know, it's a very alternative model of teaching, as you described, and is known for that. People come there for that. And is also ridiculed for that. It's like it's not real school when, if, when it's just a, a different way of teaching. Some would say superior way. And Antioch University it has a similar... Um, model we're often compared to evergreen where you don't get grades you get evaluations you get written um, summaries of your work and the model is look don't worry about a grade because that's not what we're here for you're here to learn how to be a therapist you're not here to get a's you're here how to learn how to work with other human beings you're here to learn how to think you're here to learn how to receive feedback and um, here is how you're doing in those areas uh, to give you a, a, just a letter grade that is supposedly supposed to summarize all that stuff is um, wrong headed. And we will get students. I don't know if you remember this, 
that will get super anxious about mm. that and be like, but what grade, what sort of letter grade am I getting in class? And you'd be like, don't think that way anymore. Think, achieve your competencies, grow, learn, actually learn. Don't try to get an A on a test, like learn the material, absorb it, struggle with it, you know, reject it if you, if you want to, but interact with it, be right, a human. Participate with it. I remember one student, I gave her several warnings. She didn't speak the entire quarter and got a low competency on on that piece and was very upset with me. But it was like, I, I warned you, <laughs> like, you can't be in a, in a situation like this and never speak out loud the entire time we are asking that you participate. And the great thing about teaching at Antioch is that it's experiential based. So I would like concoct these hour to two hour long performance pieces, <laughs> experiential performance pieces um, that, you know, there would be a lecture in there, there would be some readings in there, but there might also be kind of a large experience for the client for the students to go on and uh yeah that's what kept me there for eight years that was really fun yeah so just to kind of wrap it up i thought i'd just rattle through some other of mine here uh let's see kirk is, so this is fourth grade mr bugney who we called mr bug me he one time <laughs> he would lose his temper sometimes he mm. picked up a chair one time and mm. threw it across the wow the the, the like threw it over someone's head and, like, he didn't get fired. The uh, parents back then just assumed, well, he must have deserved it. Um, let's see. Kirk is usually very industrious and conscientious worker. However, on occasion, he may choose to visit more than really necessary. Uh, Kirk has an excellent grasp of both add and subtraction skills. He's proven to be one of the best in the class. Oh, that's interesting. He's also... He's also to be committed for his excellent grades in social studies, da, 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 spelling and science. But that's funny, like, um, that I am being chastised for... You're too chatty. Chatty, yeah. Cause so in fourth grade, and I kind of remember that. I, I kind of remember in fourth grade relaxing a little bit mm -hmm. and saying, you know what? I should be able to have fun. I think I, I started even having an identity as sort of a jokester as sort of a, a wisecracker. I've always been a little bit of a wisecracker. And I sat with a Japanese exchange student and um, uh, another uh, girl, woman now, our age, uh, Melinda, who I went to preschool with all the way through um, you know, high school. And we actually planned our high school reunion. Whenever mm. high school reunions come around, it's, it's her and me that will plan all of them. And... Uh, she and I would sit in the, I liked sitting in the back because it was less anxious in the back. I, I could, I felt more safe or just more comfortable. And, but my eyesight was going at that time. For those who don't know, people think that I, you know, I don't wear contacts. I do. I wear very thick contacts. I cannot see the big E at the top. Mm. If you've ever had a eye exam, I can't. They say, okay, start where you can start. I, I say, I can't see anything. I can't, I don't even, I, I'm pretty sure there's an E at the top, but I've just, that's just because of the movies, there's usually an E at the top. Um, so it started going in the third grade, and by the fourth grade, I couldn't see the blackboard. And I would ask her what was being, what was, what he was writing. And so probably a, a good portion, maybe a, you know, a tenth of the time that Mr. Bugney was upset at me about talking, I was asking Melinda what's on the board, and she was verbally telling me. Now, hold up. 
we cannot get through this podcast without you telling the best story, which is in high school, how you figured out that you didn't have to participate anymore. Oh, yeah. I think I've talked about this podcast recently, but I'll, I'll retell it. I was, um, you know, planning on going to college. That was just a given with my parents and my fam and my sort of my friends as well. And I was halfway through my junior year and I had always striven (laughs) for strove for dyslexia for uh, A's. And my parents, I've never, it's funny, I've never heard that phrase before the Asian F is a A minus. That was very much true in my family, even to my mom, who's white, when I would give my credit card or my credit card. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your scorecard, your report card. You could give my your mom your credit card. My occasional prolly card. Um, uh, they would say they would, and I and I would have friends that would get twenty dollars for every A, mm. and I was like, huh? And I would give my report card to my parents, and they'd be looking it over and reading everything, and they'd say, "So what's going on with this A minus?" And I'll never forget that. And I just thought, if you only knew what my friends. <laughs> are you know they get a twenty dollar bill for every a they don't not even just a you know anyway so um so i'm uh i'm you know i'm 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 trying real hard uh, i i study i i you know, pay attention in class and i would uh have anxiety about getting a good grade and then halfway through my junior year i learn that there's this index to get into University of Washington. You you have your test scores and you have your GPA and it gives you an index number and people above a certain index number gets in almost every year. There's a certain index that's typical, you know, and I would, I think the typical index was like 63 or something that gets in. And I had like a 75 and I thought, whoa, I'm like way above the threshold. And I calculated I, I, I looked at the index and I calculated that if I got D's and F's for the rest of my time, so I, you know the, the rest of 11th grade and all of 12th grade, my index would only come down to like a 68, which was still well above the threshold. And so I logically said, there's no reason why I should be trying hard in school. One, because I'm not learning anything. Like in one of the classes, I was drawing... Uh, I was color. I was colorizing a map of the United States. So Washington would be red, and Oregon would be green, and and that's what I was doing in the twelfth grade. You know, so there was a lot of stuff that I considered to be very mundane and busy worky, and and the other thing is, is I wanted to have a lot of fun. I wanted to enjoy my social life, and I wanted to talk with my neighbors in class. And so I decided that I was going to try to actually not get good grades because it would be illogical to do so. I still got fairly good grades and I actually um, did pretty well in classes that I liked. Like I loved calculus. I loved physics. I loved chemistry and I got A's in all those classes. It was English and history and other kinds of classes that I started to get bad grades in. But my dad got a notification and he went ballistic about it. He, he, I've never seen him this angry. He doesn't get angry very often, but he he was so angry. And I remember I was laying down on the ground watching TV, and he comes in, and he's like yelling at me, and and I'm looking at him. It's like, oh my god, he's so angry. And I knew that he was wrong because I was like, Dad, it doesn't matter. I'm getting into UW. It's I'm getting into University of Washington. It's fine. And he's like, um, 
you know, I explained the whole thing to him. He's like, it doesn't work that way. You know, they look at your, your track record. I'm like, dad, that's, you know, they're, they're getting tens of thousands of applicants a, a, a year. They don't, they don't look at every applicant in that way. They just look at the index and they let you in. And he's like, does it work that way? And he's like, just really, I'm like, oh, you know, parents. Years later, my dad tells me that he went to his friend who taught at UW. He's like, my son has this crazy idea. And, and my dad's friend said, actually, your son is right. And then you're, I don't know if it was years later or soon after my dad actually apologized to me, which I appreciated. But I was probably being a total snot about it. So I'm sure I deserved 90% of his um, of his disciplinary of his wrath. voice. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny that you say that because my mom was an English teacher. And so the fact that I could not write, like, I mean, it, she was just beside herself. And I remember at some point in high school, she started typing my essays and I think spell checking them oh. for me. So I think it wasn't, it wasn't this year. She it was probably maybe 11th and 12th grade. My teachers must have been so confused of like, why when you're at home, can you get it together? Yeah. <laughs> and then when you're in class, it's like you're a third grader. Right. Um, but she was trying to overcompensate for me because of her own shame about my disability. Huh. Did she ever try to help you because she was a Yeah. Teacher? I mean, there were periods of tutoring, but like everything in my life, like there would be periods where her life would be together enough to kind of track me and get what I need and then her life would fall apart and th there would be no space mm. to figure out my needs mm. or financially we couldn't afford tutoring you know mm. I remember oh, yeah. <laughs> tutoring I was way out of our, our league as well I don't even I don't think I knew a single classmate that had a tutor actually well and I remember um, somewhere I got black and white film and I had a film camera and I took it to the store and it was cost $20 to pick it up and she just about lost her mind. This is like 1987 or something. Or there's a bunch of stories like that. Like I was in JV basketball and I shouldn't have ordered a bag and I tried not to order a bag, but somehow they ordered a bag for me. Anyways, those basketball bags that have your name on them. And when the bag came and we owed them $20, she was just like, I mean, the wrath that came down. And I was like, like, do you want me to not have the bag? No, you know, I'll find a way. But it was just like, you know, money was yeah, I mean, tight. Well, the thing I'm hearing, Rebecca, is it's fine to be tight with money. It's it's fine to tell your kids you can't afford things. It's the, how you deliver it and yes. how, how you communicate, how you make someone feel as you're talking about that sort of thing. Yeah, she had no, the, the, it was zero to 60. There was kind of no. Hmm. And some of that is like, Jewish culture, Chicago culture, like when you're mad, you just let it rip. Um, but when you're an only child with a divorced mom, it's rough to be on the... But it's not Jewish culture not to have empathy for your children. That's true. So that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole special podcast on my mother. Yeah. <laughs> who's currently almost on her fifth marriage, but I think she knows that no one would come, so she's not. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's read another one here. Uh, what is what year is this? This is fifth grade. So fifth grade, I could have I could do a whole podcast on fifth grade and how that was both <laughs> wonderful and like traumatic for me. And you're still in the same school. Um, yeah, I went through all the same you know same group of kids. 
but I won't read that one because I didn't look like there was anything interesting there. Um, let's see, report card, Kirk report card, grade five still. Kirk continues to be responsible student, doing well. We have noted growth in his relationships with his classmates and a more positive attitude regarding daily events in the classroom. Um, hmm. Contribute some ways to make does more. Kirk uh, has been conscientious about his daily work, completing his daily work, but gets along well, gets along well with others. He has done an outstanding job with a difficult, uh, difficult something work, something in Mac math. Anyway, uh, let's read some more here. Um, I actually do have my. Oh, this is interesting. So I do have my aptitude test here. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, should I just brag sure. about where I'm at? <laughs> so. Uh, so there's just all the, you know, you got reading vocabulary, math, it's just basically, you know, language and math. And, uh, my math is like 99 percentile and my reading. This is why you could get through statistics. Yeah. My reading is, um, 85, which surprises me, you know, eighties and nineties. Um, I, I always thought I would do terrible in that, but yeah, I've always been really good at math. I, I, I don't know why that is. It just clicks in my head. I only need to hear it once. In fact, my senior year in high school, I slept through the first few um, periods because of circadian rhythm of human nature. And calculus was first quarter, and it was actually a college credit class because I got college credit because it was AP. And um, I still managed to four zero that class. There's just something about math that just. I wanted. Did I tell you I wanted to be a math major in college? No, but this is one way that we're really different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here. Okay, this is good. Uh, what grade is this? Uh, sixth grade, Mr. Brown. He called me Harley after Harley Davidson, and I called him Mr. Green. Uh, Kirk, please work on lowering your voice. That's the only note. So from, you know, because the other ones, there's all this flowery language and stuff. Uh, the puppy has now smelled your existence, uh, Rebecca. Uh, the only thing. <laughs> the, I'm glad you don't smell my existence. I'm glad only the dog does. Uh, the only thing that he wrote, Kirk, just a direct note to me, please work on lowering your voice. So, yeah, I remember in fourth grade kind of coming out of my shell socially and then fifth and sixth grade definitely like class clowny mm-hmm. um which i i hadn't thought about until reading this stuff here um where's okay now we're getting into high school uh okay so the, all the there's people saying nice things i'm just looking for any kind of bad okay those are all nice Let's see. Those are all. Oh, so I probably need to. Oh, student socializes too much. Mm. Actually, that's seventh grade in one of my classes. Student socializes too much. Uh, Again, student socializes too much in that one class. Student uh, displays immature behavior (laughs) in life sciences with Mrs. Martin. Displays immature behavior. I mean, so everything else is 
there's you know it's like ten nice things. I'm just sort of focusing on the on the negative here. Um, let's see. Let's let's go to let's go to my high school years here. Uh, let's see. He's fine. Student is a pleasure. Student is a pleasure. I guess I was just a nerd. I did think of myself as kind of like a nerd. All assignments are good. Um, let's let's go to senior year. It's got to be uh, something bad in my senior year. Um, tardy, mm. someone says. So that was one thing that I started to do in my uh, senior years. I started to just not go to class. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this, but and I learned this later as a therapist as well, that when you get past a certain amount of tardies, they actually might have to force you to get an F in the class Mm -hmm. because there's a certain, you have to be in class a certain amount of times. And so they send a big... Asses and cheers. Yeah, they send a thing to your parents that's saying that you were, you had been, you uh, weren't showing up to class or you were being tardy. Um, There's another, uh, oh, I I never, I was in college prep English in my senior year as well. Hmm. I thought I dropped out of that. That class didn't feel college prep. Um, student socializes too much during class time. <laughs> Chatty Kathy. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I guess it was just a lot of, a lot of talking in class. Anyway. You don't care what your grade is. So I just want to read, um, so this is right before I win a poetry, a runner up in a national poetry competition. This is my senior year of high school. I do get a B plus. <laughs> And uh, Mrs. Warren, who was a poet, no, Mrs. Starr, she was a poet herself. She writes, I continue to enjoy Rebecca's perceptive observations. Okay. Her responses are always detailed and intriguing. In-class writing continues to be a problematic situation for her, but she never lets technical difficulties inhibit her ability to probe a topic under discussion. Mm. I feel like that should be on my tombstone. I feel like that pretty much sums me up. Yeah, that's pretty good. She isn't afraid to probe a topic (laughs) of discussion, no matter how difficult it is. Mm. Um, I thought I would actually read my... uh, See, do I have it? Read my... um, master's level uh, uh, evaluations. Do I have it? I probably don't have it. I have my papers, but I don't have it. Anyway, I won't do that. Maybe that'll be another episode. Well, what's the conclusion on this episode, Rebecca? Well, I've never seen people more stressed about how their kids are doing in the pandemic. And I know at my son's high school, the failure rate for a class is up 600%. Yeah. Well, I was telling you this when we were at lunch, a friend of mine, he teaches high school history. And he said that more than half of his students failed history last year, meaning they have to take it because it's a required class to graduate. So um, all more than half of his students from last year have to retake history. Yeah, and so if we can relieve any parent stress out there, that you can be like Kirk and be really successful in high school and drop off for a whole year and be okay, 
Or you can be like Rebecca and never be successful in high school and still be okay. Yeah. Not only just okay, but happy, happy family, happy life, happy career. People uh, listen to me. Yeah, you're a, you're an influencer now. Uh, yeah. Would your average teacher growing up be surprised to hear that? You know, I mean, no one could have imagined this world. I couldn't have imagined this world, but there had to be a place for people like me. Not everybody, I'll just keep coming back to this. Not everybody can be a tax attorney. Not everybody should. Yeah. Um, and but I, the thing, I'm, the point I'm trying to get at is, do you think that the teachers were kind of giving up on you or treating you in a certain way? Like, ah, oh, she's kind of a lost cause. I think, I mean, I what I read in these comments is they can see my emotional int- intelligence and they can tell that I don't have the hardware to do the kind of rote, what I would think of as rote stuff. Okay. I, uh-huh. I can't produce the written word. But they liked you. But but I was, I was a, a caring kid. Did you talk too much in class? No, none of, no one here is telling me to just shut up. Huh. But I think when I did speak, it was coherent and probably off center from what the average kid was saying. Yeah. And who doesn't love a kid like that? I love those kids. Yeah. Thank <clears throat> God for those kids. They make life interesting. I mean, all the characters up on your, uh, you know, we television is based on those kids. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. It was really fun. It was very therapeutic, actually. Yeah, it was interesting. I've, like I said, I've I've scanned all of them, but I've never really read them. There wasn't any reason to actually read the words on the on the page but that was interesting for me to read well and i'll report back if this influences the repetitive nightmares that i have about high school (laughs) Hmm. and everyone out there please take care of yourself because oh you're gonna be you're gonna turn into something that's gonna really be important to someone else 